LAPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD. Here on WTBR 89.7 FM. Today is Friday, July 16th, 2021. And I am sorry for, for my uncontrollable laughter. But I don't know what that was. The expression on Officer Derby's face when that promo cut in. Uh, hi, okay. we're here. Everything's working. Yep. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly radio show, purportedly weekly radio show. I'm joined in studio this morning by Officer Darren Derby, the morning safety officer. Yes, uh, and uh, not a uh, DJ. Filling in as our sound technician because uh, <laughs> Awesome Gary and Smart Gary are both away. So uh, Lieutenant Traversa is taking so much needed vacation and Mr. Munn had a, a personal matter that he needed to address. So we're here muddling through uh, producing a radio show. The team, the B squad is in. Dave and Sean came in and provided some technical <laughs> assistance during the weather I still, report. Why can't I figure this out? I don't know why. Slide down all the sliders that aren't us. When in doubt, slide down everything. All right. Good morning, oh, Officer Derby. Ah, good morning, Chief. How are you? Right now, I'm uh, a little flustered. Temperature's up just a, a tad. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely oh. don't want to get my uh, blood pressure drawn right now. No. Checked. No. Um, so, you know what? I'm not even going to do any news articles. Uh, it, it, nothing really jumped nope, out of, nothing off, good. off the page this morning. Um, there's, I mean, there's lots of good stuff going on, but nothing like stuck in my head when I was reading through the news or watching the news this morning. The Olympics are seven days away. That's big news. I haven't, I haven't uh, watched much of that, unfortunately. Yeah. Opening, opening ceremonies are... Well, there's no, there's no, uh, it's just the participants, right? Yeah, no spectators. It's no. going to be weird. And the other weird thing that came out of this is um, the the athletes, the win, the the Olympians, the winners. Yeah, they have to put their own medals on. What? Like you know when they go up on the podium and somebody normally comes out and hangs it around their neck, they have to put their own medals on. Well, they sh they should make it so they can put each other's medals on yeah. each other. So I don't know. You know what they should do? They should fly a bunch of law enforcement yes. torch run reps yes. over there, and we'll hang the medals. On. I like We've that. all been vaccinated. I like it. Yes. <laughs> all right. We're problem solvers. That's what we do. So um, I'm just going to kind of get into, like, you know, things that are PPD. And I'm actually going to need your help with something. Like, listen, today. I did learn the other day that you are the top cop. I didn't. Know. I, I've, I've I've never seen that before. I, well, I've seen and heard that before, but it's not true. Oh, okay. It's not true, and let me tell you why it's not true. There are two elected officials in Berkshire County, both of whom, purportedly, depending on which section of the statute you are, are the chief law enforcement officers in the county, and I've been told that by both of them. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm the president of the County Chiefs of Police Association, so sometimes the other chiefs refer to me in that role facetiously as the top cop. But as we have established on this program in the past, my wife is the chief at home. Yep. So in all three of those capacities, I am not the top cop. 
Well, I, I just I, I hadn't seen that title before, and uh, it kind of jumped out. But but that's probably why it was put there, so it jumps out. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't know. All right. You know, it's, I don't know why they can't just say police chief, but whatever. It is what it is. But that the uh, that article is actually a good segue, and uh, you know, we've we've got a lot going on in the department and in the city. Mm. Um, you know, the, the meeting I was at that led to that article with that headline, you were discussed there. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were at the meeting in response to a petition from a city councilor to deliver a plan to stop gun violence. And I'm not going to get into the details about how that was communicated or, you know, what, you know we, we had a spate of 18 shooting-related incidents through the spring and the beginning of summer. Uh, half dozen arrests, bunch of other charges, a couple guns seized. Um, but there was some irritation that I, I wasn't going to tell people while we were, you know, putting a plan in place what the plan was. Bad guys listen to the news too, yeah. right? I'm not going to yep. tell you specifically we see what too much we're of doing. That. We right? see too much of that. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, we updated them on what we had done and, and we had done quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, some was, was very visible. And I had a, I had a couple members of the anti-crime unit come up to me early June, mid-June. And uh, they're like, hey, chief, um, you know, we had resident walk up to us when we were out, you know, watching, watching the location. And, you know, they, they leaned in the car and they said, you know, it's been quiet here. You guys are everywhere, right? They're, they're, we're not seeing anything except you guys. You guys are. So that worked, right? But, you know, it, when we... Based on intelligence, we, we detect a trend. We, we have some options available to us. Um, we don't have as many options and tools as we would like, but we do have some. So w- what were some of the things we did? Well, you know, had the command staff in. And historically, if we were dealing with something like that, you know, this goes back decades, we might say, okay, we're going to, you know, add two additional officers to every shift until we get this under control. And that's great. But it's not efficient because we're not seeing the problem on every shift. So going plus two on every shift, it's not targeted and it's expensive, right? So we, the command staff, and said, look, here's what we're going to do. The lieutenants have the best idea of what the ebb and flow of call volume is and pace on, on their shift is. And it changes from week to week. It could be different days of the week. So instead of saying, you know, shotgun approach we're going to put them here everywhere say lieutenant as you're you and your sergeants are putting your detail together you're authorized to increase your staffing by one as you see fit depending on the day of the week and the and the you know volume of calls on that you don't have to you don't have to run it by the captain or me just at you know when you're doing your detail if it looks like you're going in the wrong direction put another patrol on but have that patrol focus their area in in this case west side and Morningside, where the vast majority of those incidents were being reported so we did that, um, bring, brought in the supervisors from the anti-street crimes unit, said, you guys have been limited to this number of uh, street crimes patrols financially based on the grant up until this point, double that. So we you know, essentially doubled the, the number of anti-street crimes patrols, uh, which means we're going to deplete the grants faster, but we'll go to special enforcement over time because we, we needed to do that. Um, Investigative commanders told all of our plainclothes officers, if you're not actively involved in interviewing a witness, interviewing a victim, writing a report, throw on your vest and get out on the street. So we put all Mm. the investigative units, uh, again, focusing their attention in those same areas. Um, Called the state police, 
uh, was surprised to find out that the state police um, had redeployed the CAT team, which had been supporting us for the last couple of years, had redeployed them to Springfield yeah. in response to... Um, it's been a little while. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't get the memo. Um, so called the major and said, no, you know, we, we had an agreement. You got to get them back here. And, you know, to their credit, Major Hable is a, is a great partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the reasons that they had been pulled out to Springfield, Chicopee and Holyoke was because Springfield had received a grant. And so they were, they were funding the CAT team with federal funds, um, which, you know, anytime you get a chance to use somebody else's money to do your work, that's good. So they, uh, they redeployed them using state police funds, which we're grateful for. Um, so that that was the big thing, and and you know we put out a call. I put out a call to our federal counterparts and said, "Look, this it's summer. We're not even in the height of summer yet. This is happening. We need your help." Um, so those were the deliberate things that we were able to do. Coincidentally, the drug unit was wrapping up a, a major. major investigation, yeah. a large scale investigation, and the timing of that. They actually had Sergeant Stroud in. I was like, you got to speed this up, man. So they, they managed to you know expedite that a little bit, and that meant that they took off uh, with search warrants, several location targets, made a bunch of arrests, seized a bunch of drugs and money, and even though the seizure didn't occur in Pittsfield, they seized uh, 11 rifles. Yeah. And it wasn't specifically, that case wasn't specifically related to any of our shooting incidents. It predated that. But the targets of that investigation clearly were driving some of the the beef that was leading to some of the shootings, because when we took them down, things kind of settled down. Not entirely, but um, you know, kind of settled down. And you know, while all that was going on, patrol was just out doing good police work, right? Um, and I, I kind of lost my mind on the air here a couple weeks ago, so I'm gonna stay in my lane today um but you know patrol responding to a noise disturbance makes an arrest and takes a ghost gun off the street yeah midnight shift right just you know loud radio complaint boom ghost gun uh and we haven't really we talked about it briefly right after that arrest but we haven't really talked about this because that's not the first one we've seized and another one was just seized in the county as well um, and for, for those uh, are, who are listening, yeah. you know, it, they probably hear ghost gun right. a lot. We hear it on the news if you just want to. Yeah, that's, that's where I was going with this. So um, a ghost gun, for, the, the most important thing to know about a ghost gun is it's untraceable. And the, the reason that that's concerning is that we, it's very hard to determine the source. Uh, it's also hard to, to tie it back um, to any history. And so... This, we're going to get in the weeds a little bit with firearms and firearms law. But under federal law, a firearm is not defined as the entire thing that we consider to be the gun. Uh, it's considered, the, the, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives considers a firearm to be what in the trade we would refer to as the frame or the lower receiver. So on our duty sidearms, our Glocks, the firearm, the frame, is the lower receiver. That's the polymer part of the firearm, and, you know, it, it's stamped with the serial number. Now, when you buy a new firearm from a reputable manufacturer, most of the component parts that are in the entire firearm, the frame itself, stamped with the serial number, the upper receiver, the slide, 
will normally be stamped with the same serial number. And some manufacturers will even go so far as to stamp the barrel with the same serial number. Hmm. But there's nothing that says you can't take different firearms apart and swap those parts out. So the number, the one that's assigned to everything, is the lower receiver or the frame. That's the same for a rifle, right? The the num the part. So when we buy a rifle, we read we record the serial number of the lower receiver. The issue is that there are manufacturers out there that are either injection molding or, in some cases, three D printing non functioning lower receivers. It's it's basically a lower receiver that doesn't have the pinholes in it, and because it's not a, fire a firearm. <laughs> They're not required to put a serial number on it. And this is where it gets tricky because what they'll do is they'll sell you this non-serialized lower receiver. They will also sell you the pattern or the um, tooling die to punch out the parts you need to receive the pins and because they're customer centric and customer oriented they'll also sell you all of the other components including the barrel and the upper receiver so you can get this thing it's a kit you drill out the the necessary parts you need a drill and a dremel tool basically you throw this thing together and it's a functioning gun with no identifying numbers on it and they're not controlled currently in the in this country and efforts to require manufacturers to to stamp them and serialize them have failed it's it's just it hasn't worked and so atf when i was at out of the cape when i remoted in with you guys atf showed us a surveillance video of a case they worked in massachusetts the target of that investigation was sitting on the front porch at his in-laws house and he was cranking one of those out every 16 minutes right so not quite for an hour and he was doing it for three or four hours a day, every day of the week, and pushing those guns out on the street. So, um, you know, it, it's just another complication in making a case. Is you got the ghost gun, unless the person that you take it off of is willing to tell you how they got it, there isn't any way to determine a history or, or source it. Um, in this particular case, the the one that we got was from a well-known u.s manufacturer so we know you know we know where it was purchased from but we don't know when we don't know how it was paid for how it got there's no way to determine that they're not required to tell us um technically they're not even firearms dealers right they're they're parts dealers um so that that was frightening yeah um and they're out there right they're, yeah, we they're know out they're out there. there yep yep so um yeah, that's that's kind of the, the state of where we are on that. Now, interestingly enough, I said your name was brought up during the report, during the briefing, and one of the so look as like I just said before we got on the air, I was just on the phone with a member of the district attorney's office. We're talking about some evidence stuff, and he said, you know, COVID messed everything up. And let's just yeah, COVID messed everything up, right? But that's not um. That, that's not an excuse we have to we have to push on we have to do our work and so um it, i don't even know where i'm going with this so the the question was asked why we weren't holding neighborhood watch meetings 
And I was like, well, mm-hmm. and the person who asked me the question is someone that we have a history of cooperating with on neighborhood watch meetings. And I, I just kind of looked. I was like, well, neighborhood watch meetings are scheduled and requested by the neighborhood. And he's like, well, you know, it, it seems like this after Officer Ortega left. And I was like, well, you know, there's no question anytime there's a turnover and there's a change of, of hands that there's going to be some loss of comfort or cooperation. So, but we immediately replaced Officer Ortega with Officer Derby. I said, and I know Officer Derby is talking to people in the community about Neighborhood Watch because he, you know, he checks with me on our schedule. I said, obviously, we couldn't meet in person during the pandemic, but we didn't get any requests from the neighborhood for any meetings, right? Uh, we don't drive Neighborhood Watch. It's been that way for decades, right? We respond to requests from the neighborhoods that have watch programs. The na- without the neighborhood's cooperation, us just showing up and saying, hey, we're going to have a neighborhood watch meeting. Uh, where's, where is the investment, you know, from the community? So it's not just that, right? Every, so we, we've had a long and robust history in this city of neighborhood watch. And every single watch I've ever been involved in is different from every other one. Even when, you know, Officer Ortega was handling it and previous to that, you know, uh, some of our other community engagement officers were handling it. No two watch meetings that we attended during like the same month or during the same quarter were, were identical, right? So we had one neighborhood watch that was very active and very robust straight through the pandemic. And the reason they were so robust is they rarely meet in person, usually twice a year for like a summer cookout and a holiday party. Everything else they do, they do via phone tree or email chain. And so they just kept sending alerts out to all of their membership straight through the pandemic. No loss of functionality, no loss of fidelity. Other neighborhood watches historically meet in public gathering places. So public gathering places are closed. Those, those, those watches didn't meet. They didn't function. Um, that doesn't mean they didn't provide us with information, but, you know, th- that was different. Other neighborhood watches meet in homes. Yep. Right. And obviously some people were all of us were concerned about who was in our bubble. So those watches didn't really function. But the point was, we go to neighborhood watch meetings when the neighborhood watches ask us to come to the meetings. Rarely do we sometimes we'll we'll have something that's like, hey, we have to come talk to you right now. But usually we'll just talk to the watch captain and rely on them to disseminate the information. Um, So we'll, you know. We're coming out of it during our reopening. We'll have to revisit how our watches are structured and where they're structured. And yeah, I've been to uh, so I've been to one. Uh, you know, they reached out to us through their city councilor, right. and um, you know, we set up a meeting. It was outside. You know, everybody was you know safe, but you know, it was in regards to uh, parking complaints, continuous parking complaints, and loitering, and right. you know, possible drug activity. Um, well, you're going to segue into my next topic. So it, you know, so people are meeting. Um, right. They. For the most part, the the citizens and the residents who've been in those neighborhoods long enough know, you know, a lot of them have already been a part of a a, yeah. a previous one, you know, before it, it kind of fell to the wayside. Um, or in, in a lot of times, the issue is is that you have a lot of movement um, within the community yeah. uh, when it comes to residents. A lot know? of transition. So, yeah, a lot of transition. So, you know, yeah, maybe we could probably do better at educating, but that's where the city councilors, you know, that they're it's their constituents you right know, and that's maybe something we have to work on with them so so let's stay on we're we're coming up on the half hour here so let's stay on this for just a little bit and then uh we'll we'll switch to the 
word you just mentioned, loitering, in the second half of the show. So the other thing that we did manage to do during the response to this, you, you weren't on duty. Um, so we, we, we had had, we, we have had, we were scheduled to have a coffee with a cop last month. And as, as the governor's orders were lifted, I worked with Ms. Gregory, Mrs. Gregory Balada, and it was originally scheduled as a virtual. And I said, look, um, work with me and find a place that we can do it in person. And so we reached out for the Christian Center, and they were very accommodating. And, um, you know, it was like, we, you got to do it outside under the tent. But And I always laugh when we do Coffee with a Cop at the Christian Center because it, it is funny, but they take an inordinate amount of pleasure in providing us with donuts. Oh, yes. Anytime we show oh, up, they're yes. going to get the donuts. <laughs> so um, we managed to do that, and I hadn't thought about this. working the scenes during the pandemic was weird it was just weird right a lot of things and a lot of interaction and a lot of um a lot of elements that you just normally would take for granted including you know observers you know outside of our perimeter crowds they just weren't there yeah at all yeah and and so it didn't occur to me when i was out on a homicide scene that our Pittsfield community connection, like outreach workers weren't there. And I, it just, it, you know, there, nobody was there. So it wasn't as obvious. Um, but we've got several years of history that when we respond to a critical incident in the neighborhood, the outreach workers will respond behind us. And so they weren't there and, and uh, I didn't pick up on it. And so at coffee with a cop, um, Mr. Oren Powell, who is the new community outreach and engagement coordinator for Pittsfield community connection, he found out about coffee with a cop and, on his own accord, he came and he introduced himself to the Christian Center staff and to the members of the community who were there. And he said, you know, they they recognize and acknowledge that the pandemic negatively impacted their ability to do some of what they were doing as well. And so he's in the process of bringing on um, new street outreach workers and they're going to get back into that habit. So when we're working a scene actively, they'll you know be outside the program. And when it was working, it was, I, I yeah, liked it. It was outstanding. Yeah. Because it's in the immediate aftermath of an incident when we see those, I hate the term, you know, I hate, I'm not even going to say at risk. We see potentially gang impacted youth kind of like hanging around looking to see what's what. And you know that in in that moment, they're going to make a decision. And if they make the wrong decision, that's going to follow them for the rest of their life. So if the outreach workers can interfere with that, and they can alter that decision. That's got potential impact. So mm-hmm. um, they're going to start, you know, rolling out and on some of our calls Good. with us. Um, Good. And uh, so the other thing, I think I talked about this two weeks ago. The other thing that came out of that week, that, that period, I, I had to call the commanders and I'm like, what the heck happened? So we all got that email from Officer Carasoto when he took the picture of Mr. Powell's business card and he emailed it out to everybody. And I, I had him at the coffee with a cop. And so, you know, Mr. Powell walked up to Officer Carasota, introduced himself. And so I called the commanders and I'm like, how, how did somebody make it through field training and probation and not know about a program we fund, mm-hmm. right? How, how do you get through almost three years and not be, fun- and that's on us, right? That's on me and the commanders. It, we communicate things when it's fresh and new 
and then we stopped reinforcing it and communicating it and you know just we hadn't been having that conversation and they couldn't be in the building for a year so there's just there was yeah, no understanding. Yeah, you know, and, and when it came to the you know field training over the last year and a half, um, you know, because those assets really weren't at at the ready, right? Um, that wasn't really something that we started to train on. Yeah, you so. couldn't introduce it. Yep. Um, so so that was ironic. So I made uh, Officer Carasoto come to that coffee with the cop and sit there <laughs> with Mr. Powell to share that story. But then you know we had Sergeant Mazio disseminate some information and say hey to follow up on what officer carousello said uh, th- we have an established relationship this this is our grant money right so um we'll, we'll get that back on track and uh I, my last slide of that presentation was there hadn't been you know anything in two weeks and lieutenant souls read it he's like please don't oh. put that in there he's knocking on wood crossing his fingers spinning around three times it's like it, we had to say it because it showed that those changes in strategy and deployment worked. Is, is it the end? No, there's a lot of guns out there. Yeah, I there's mean, a, it, it's, a, it's a, a short-term Band-Aid. Yeah. You know, that, but, that you know, got the effect that we were looking yeah. for to stop the immediate, yeah. you know, interaction. The underlying root cause is there's a lot of crime guns out there. we got to yeah. get the guns off the street. And that requires cooperation from witnesses. So mm-hmm. if you know somebody who's making a habit of carrying a gun around on a daily basis and they're not properly licensed to do so, tell us. Take the guns off the street, reduce the gun violence. Yep. All right. It's 9.30. You're listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. We're going to get another check of the weather and some uh, PSAs, and then we'll be back to pivot to public order offenses. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, partly sunny, a chance of showers and thunderstorms this afternoon. Some thunderstorms may produce gusty wind and heavy rainfall this afternoon. Highs in the mid-80s. West wind around 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 30%. Tonight, mostly cloudy. Lows in the lower 60s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming northeast after midnight. Saturday, mostly cloudy. A chance of showers in the morning, then showers likely with a chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Some thunderstorms may produce gusty wind and heavy rainfall in the afternoon. Highs in the upper 70s. East wind around 5 miles per hour, becoming salt in the afternoon. Chance of rain 70%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. The Pittsfield Suns are back, and PCTV Sports is bringing you close to the action. Pittsfield Community Television is proud to present live coverage of Pittsfield Suns baseball Thursday, July 22nd at Wakota Park as the Pittsfield Suns take on the Westfield Starfires at 635. You can watch live on PCTV Select, available on Roku and Apple TV, and the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page. Live coverage of Pittsfield Suns baseball is supported by Berkshire United Way's Ready for K program your CBD store, and Springside Rehabilitation and Skilled Care Center. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Folks, unfortunately, drug use is a driving factor for a lot of crime taking place in our city, the most prevalent crime being theft. Please, take the extra time to ensure that your belongings are safe inside your vehicle. Do not leave anything of value in plain sight. Hide your belongings. Place them in your trunk or take anything of value out of the vehicle. Always keep your vehicle locked. Don't make it easy for them. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. And we're, we're back. back. All right. So I just got this SCOM from Captain Kirchner that I have to respond to really quick. So You, you have had, to respond to me? I have to respond to this SCOM oh. really quick. So you got to, uh, you got to I, fill I gotta, a couple <laughs> minutes of airtime. 
<laughs> I'll make it quick. Uh, all right. Uh, what can we talk about? Uh, well, BCC. Oh, my, that'll that'll yep, give me points at yep, home. Yep, BCC. Um, I will officially with with uh, Officer Steinman. I will officially be graduating uh, in August, but my class is done on Wednesday. That's Wednesday. awesome. So I have my my last final uh, will be an intro to sociology. I am happy that it is over. I am not going any farther at this point in my career that that I'm aware of for my bachelor's. Although they keep you're asking going, me. you're going back to school. Yeah, no. Yes. Um, so we have uh, Operation Copsicle is going out today uh, at eleven o'clock. It's going to uh, Berkshire Peak uh, nice. for a community event that they have there for three hours. Awesome. And then, as I told you yesterday, uh, Chicopee uh, had requested it. Um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, they, they were having some violence issues. Uh, so with their C3 group and, and Chicopee PD uh, spearheading this, they're actually grabbing our ice cream truck today for a good event tomorrow. So That's it's awesome. actually making it out of the Berkshires. So Sharing the love. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we're back. I, I feel like we have to hit reset and kind of redo the top of the hour. Um, to our viewers and listeners, you are tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, and I keep forgetting, archived and available as podcast on all of your popular podcast platforms, including spotify apple podcasts wherever you, you normally find podcasts so locally this is live they can they can see your yeah smiling mug yeah well and, it's live and then it's recorded in my so, yes shiny head there. both well both of our your shiny head and my shiny forehead <laughs> ever ever expanding <laughs> um yeah so before the so to all of our viewers and listeners, we apologize for that rough intro at the top of the hour, and we appreciate you sticking with us. It could have been much in. worse. I, it, you know. it could have been. I pressed the right buttons. I just didn't lower the right levers. That's it, all. It's a perishable skill. <laughs> like many of our skills, it's a perishable <laughs> skill. And I'm just thankful you're on that side of the studio, yeah. and I'm still on this side of the studio. Hey, I'm still laughing, so that, yeah. we're having fun. we got to have fun with it, right? If you can't laugh at yourself. All right. So... As we were wrapping up the uh, that seg- you know that session segment we were talking about, you mentioned that you'd had a meeting, an outdoor meeting, and it had to do with parking. And you mentioned the word loitering, what were you know large uh, largely what we would consider to be public order offenses. And I'm not going to get into the details during the during this episode because I don't want to draw unnecessary attention to to the location, but. You're aware we've received several internal emails um, about a developing problem in a particular downtown location. And one of the things that keeps coming out of the reports of this problem is it's loitering. And I don't really think that there's a clear understanding about loitering, right? So in in the Commonwealth, there there is no longer a law regarding loitering in public places, right? It's, it's not, it's not allowed. It was deemed unconstitutional. So private property owners can prohibit loitering. That's hanging around unnecessarily on private property, but we can't generally enforce loitering, hanging out without some purpose 
on public property. Now, the statute, the Commonwealth statute that way back when, similar to like public intoxication or whatever, would have addressed that, um, it did allow for local variation or interpretation. So the city of Pittsfield has an ordinance that addresses loitering, but in the ordinance, it's defined as three or more people who obstruct a sidewalk preventing passage. So it really only applies to sidewalks. And the situation that we're getting reports on isn't about sidewalks. It's, it's about pub, public benches and a gathering place. And so you can't loiter there. So we can't enforce loitering and, and you know, what we think of as loitering under the law and what other people perceive loitering as based on, you know, popular definition are different. So if you complain to us about loitering in a public gathering place, it's not loitering. There's nothing we can do. Um, you know, we can ask people to move along. They can tell us to pound sand. Um, and any place that's open to the public to gather is open to the entire public. Doesn't matter um, what their purpose is. Doesn't matter what their socioeconomic class is. Doesn't matter what their physical or cognitive or mental um, ability or disability is. If it's public, it's public. And so we we get put in a difficult position because people want us to push people away from certain gathering places and we can't. Now, the issue in this particular location is larger because the underlying, the, the underlying complaints are not about the gathering per se. It's about some of the other behaviors that are apparently being attributed to some of the people gathering there in locations that are also in close proximity. And so, you know, there's an ongoing discussion thread and a small working group that the mayor's office has assembled to look at this. And I kind of, you know, lost my temper a little bit in an email. I'm like, you, you're sending this back to me, telling me to deploy patrols. Nothing that you're describing in this email is criminally enforceable, right? It's, it, this, isn't, this isn't for a police officer to handle. Maybe we can deploy the co-responder. Maybe we should send a health inspector. But this isn't something I should be sending a uniformed police officer to, to address. And that makes people angry. Um, so, you know, if, if we, Pittsfield Police Department, law enforcement in general, learned anything in 2020, it's that we have to question long-established habits. Um, you know, the public has been very clear. There are things they don't want us sending uniformed police officers to do. And, and I think it's pretty clear that we could agree with them. That yes, right. There are, there are certainly certain things that we have done for yeah. my entire career that we should not necessarily have been doing, and we're not going to keep doing them. And it's not because we chose to do it. It's because those Nobody else agencies or that, right. you know, that there was no option other yeah. than the police. So there, there's another element of this, and again, this is going to feel like you know, finger-pointing in multiple directions, and that's not the case, but the, the issues... The underlying issues we're discussing are not actually happening in the public gathering place. They're happening on private property in close proximity to the public gathering place. So there's another element there, right? Because private property is private, and that means that the property owners also have a role in this. Now, that's not to say we can't assist them, but they can't 
handed over to us, right? And so we're gonna have to. We're gonna. I actually want you to take a ride down there at some point today mm-hmm. and see if there's any SEPTED mm-hmm. environmental or engineering solutions we can offer. Um, you know, there's there's probably something that can that a little bit of lighting and cameras might be able to make an impact on. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, th- we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to arrest people to make this problem go away. It's no, it, it's uh, it, it's going to be a, a group effort. It's yeah. going to be multiple angles. But uh, you know, as you said, and, and I think we can all concur that, you know, not every issue that people are seeing can be solved by us or should be solved by us. You know, and well, that's we're just one small portion. The reason that I got so frustrated and, and kind of set off a testy email is we did what we were asked to do. We increased the patrols. We, you know, Lieutenant Bradford's been leading the effort this summer, assisted by Sergeant Hill, to get the bike patrols out more often. And they've been out, and they've been focusing some attention down there. And so they did a, you know, what we call a SWOT analysis, and they came up with some proposed solutions, but they were engineering solutions. And so he sent an email. It, that's what we expect of our our you know, patrol force, he identified potential solutions. He sent an email suggesting those solutions. Those potential solutions were forwarded through the chain of command to the other appropriate departments. And the response from the other departments is, stop trying to make this our problem. Take care of it. That's not what he said, right? There, we've been down there. We've seen these people. We've identified some of the things. This is the underlying root cause. Remove this. Problem goes away. And the response was, that'll just displace it. Displacement is a strategy, right? It, it's a proven strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, they're, the people are there because it's working for them. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's a benefit to yes. that. That's why they chose that location. It's convenient. I, right? mm. um, we're kind of, we're, we're talking around, I'm trying to be diplomatic and tactful. <laughs> and so... I was having a conversation with the mayor and she's like, well, you know, we talked to, we talked to so-and-so and it's not their clients. Like, we never said it was their clients. We never said that, but their clients have friends and they want to visit with their friends and they want to spend time with their friends. And so their friends can't visit them there. So th- this is a convenient location and they're interacting with their friends the clients will go home. The friends will still be there, right? So, um, yeah. I mean, I, and I think that's it, it, that's a strategic, you know, move. It's it's okay. So we, you know, not going directly, having the inability because we don't have you know bylaws and and right. whatnot. We do, you know, it's not a police underlying issue, but coming up with a strategic plan of. Thinking outside the box. Right. Okay, hey, well, geez, you know, like, well, the people that are hanging out there with them, well, we might be able to get them to not be there. Right. And, hey, maybe they won't, you know, these friends won't be hanging out there as much. And that's that's essentially what the lieutenant proposed. If we can make this location less attractive and provide a more attractive alternative, it'll solve this problem. So we'll be working on that more uh, later today and over the course of the next several days. And yeah. <laughs> I, got nothing. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. 
All right. So, um, well, if the captain answered me, I'd take my cruiser in for service. I'm going to make the captain drive it. There's something oh, wrong with it. There you go. Oh, so he's got to drive it all the way down there? I'm going to drop it off on the way back. Oh. He's going to pick me up. But when it's done, I'm going to make him drive it because there's, there's a couple weird things going on. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So besides the cruiser service, um, we got 15 minutes left here. So I spent a fair amount of time earlier this week uh, doing some work with the post commission. And I will leave here and hurry back to the station because I'm going to jump into another set of meetings for the post commission. Um, that's been a lot. There's, there's a lot going on with that. Uh, I mentioned when we were here two weeks ago that I was on the small group, the small team that was tasked with putting together guidelines for peace officers and interacting with children. Uh, we got those guidelines done. Not a lot in there that was earth shattering, mostly just sincere recommendations for more upfront training and continuous training on adolescent development. Mm. Um, it, it was kind of, I, I met one-on-one with our school resource officers, which is another topic that we could discuss again. Um, and I asked both of them, and actually I asked a recent academy graduate, how how comfortable are you with your training on you know dealing with adolescence and adolescent development and pretty consistently they're like training no experience yes i feel good and i can do this but we didn't get any specific training on that and when i was examining the current academy curriculum the first place that juveniles came up as a special population was in the investigating juvenile crime module there there wasn't any like during criminal law or con law there wasn't even a mention of it as a special consideration so we got to front mode that a little bit in the academy currently the post commission is working so those were guidelines and kind of like you know suggestions and best practices the current work before us is actually developing regulations these these will carry statutory authority and um, this is a little bit more of a challenge because the guidelines were inherent to the post commission you know, nine commissioners worked together to develop them and uh, you know approve them and push them out the regulations have to be promulgated jointly by the post commission and the municipal police training committee uh, and so uh, we have this document of draft regulations that's been bantered back and forth between the mptc and the post commission i'm also on the small group representing the post commission doing the edits we have a joint meeting with the MPTC's representatives to begin negotiations today. Um, like almost everything else in the police reform law, the deadlines are tight. Uh, they didn't really give us a lot of time to, to get up to speed. So we've got to basically start negotiating this today and have it ready to vote for approval by next Thursday. Wow. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a heavy, gonna be, heavy lift. You're going to work through the weekend? There's been a lot of weekend meetings on this mm. stuff. Yes. Mm. Unfortunately, I haven't been the. Fortunately, I haven't been the principal author on either of these documents. Other post uh, commission members have been doing most of the writing. I've just been an editor. So, editing on the weekend is significantly easier than writing over the weekend. Um, but yeah, it's there's there's a lot. Um, for our viewers and listeners, this this. I, I need to figure out a way to communicate this ongoing work better internally to the department. I wasn't as worried about it with the uh, adolescent guidelines because 
again, they're, they weren't statutory, so they, they, you know, they impact me more than they impact the line officers. But the use of force regulations will be statutory, and they will impact all of us. And this is going to be a seismic shift in law enforcement culture mm. in the Commonwealth. With youth. No, with all use of force. Okay. And the reason for it, it's not going to be how officers use force, but Massachusetts is one of only a handful of states that doesn't have state regulations regarding police use of force. We're entirely based on federal case law. Entirely. There's there's no mention of it per se. Which which I find crazy because... You know, we see a lot of use of force being used in other states. Right. It, like, uh, for instance, right. the chokehold. Yeah. That was never taught here. No. Like, so I, I thought, for some reason, I, I felt as though we've been ahead of the game compared to a lot of other commonwealths or states. We are. But we're largely ahead of the game based on our training and, um, and our professional development. Gotcha. But there isn't anything per se in the in the... MGLs, the Mass General Laws, or the CMR, specifically dealing with law enforcement use of force. It's just implicit in our statutory authority, right? Your police officer, you have authority to arrest. That includes use of force. Go see the federal guidelines. Um, and so after next week, there will be Commonwealth of Massachusetts regulations regarding police use of force. And, and you see them stricter than the federal? Well, so that's, that's why we're negotiating. No. Um, like I've been a use of force instructor for most of my career, not entirely, but, you know, 24 years or something like that. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to be more strict than the federal standard, but they are going to require more, definitely more reporting. Yeah, documentation. Um, yeah. And they're also going to require not just the documentation by the officers involved, but by the agencies uh, two, right, uh, uses of force may have to be reported to the Post Commission. So there's going to be some changes. Uh, and as I said, it's not necessarily going to be in how the officers use force, because like you said, we teach officers to do it very well here. But it's going to be the overall environment of use of force. Um, get, officers are going to have to do a lot more reporting. Supervisors are going to have to do a lot more reviewing and reporting. Um, you know, we know under Commonwealth versus Adams that we've all had the uh, the obligation, the legal obligation to intervene or intercede if we see one of our fellow officers do something. That's going to be established by law, not case law now. Um, and so the, the interesting part about the negotiations, uh, obviously not everybody on the Post Commission is a police officer. There was some stuff in one of the early drafts that uh, I went through that if you've never been in a physical confrontation in the middle of the road or on the side of the road in the middle of the night, you might just say, oh, there's, there's nothing objectionable about that. That seems reasonable. That makes sense. No, <laughs> right? There, there was a couple. And we got it out, right? It's, it's mm. not in there. Um, but, like, I was looking at a, a draft of a draft before I came to work this morning, and, uh, you know, MPTC negotiators that have some objections to some, some of our language, and so we'll have to hammer that out, you know, I think the important thing to recognize and realize is that as a profession, we're going to be better off for these changes. Sure, sure. The transition is going to be painful, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But we're going to get through this, and at the end of this, we're going to be better 
better trained, more professional, but more accountable, and more transparent. And and that's better for everybody. Um, well, I, and I think you know I I, I think we, we we're on the same uh, perspective when it comes to you know policing now compared to what it had been, right? So, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the, the systemic racism, you know, within law enforcement, you know, that we can date back to, you know, even before we were born. Long before we were Long born. Long before we were born. Establishment um, of police in the Western yeah. world. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's been, unfortunately, it's, it's been in the culture of policing for forever. Um, and now we're actually seeing change, um, you know, because the community is is speaking louder and louder um you know you have ears that are listening um you know i I, again you know i and those are just looking at the things that you know you talked about from the pandemic why are we doing certain things we shouldn't even be doing those things but that's helping it's coming to light now you know like why why are we going you know bringing people here why are we interacting with these folks it has nothing to do with police and ultimately those interactions are what a lot of people have seen in the news, um, you know, either in paper or social media, where the interaction has gone wrong. And looking back at it, well, why were we even there? Well, you know, because we've been relied on. And So I'm, I'm going to give you an example, right? This is the example that we've been using in our command discussions and in my discussions with the administration and sometimes in my community meetings. So we talked about it on previous programs. We went through an analysis last year. Uh, shift commanders drove it largely, and they worked with uh, Lieutenant Traversa from uh, communications to kind of go through our, our call system. And we were identifying calls that was like, it, this doesn't make any sense. And so there, there was two that we kind of used as like, are you, are you kidding me? Uh, one of them was children who won't go to school. Yeah. Right. Children, children don't want it. So it wasn't that big a deal during the pandemic. School was closed, right? But in normal times, parent goes to court to get a child requiring assistance petition. And the, and the instructions from the court are, if they don't comply, call the cops. Little Johnny doesn't want to get out of bed when to send a patrol officer. Yeah. We shouldn't do that, right? And we, we have to have hard conversations with the judges. Stop putting us in that position. They have probation officers who work for them. Send them, right? They're not going to roll up in a marked car in uniform with a gun belt on. Send the probation officers, right? So th- those are the types of things. But the one that Lieutenant Bradford pointed out to me, and I've heard the call thousands of times, probably been on it dozens of times, a patient leaves the hospital against medical advice AMA with a well in their arm. The hospital's policy was to call the police to go get the patient and bring them back. And we were doing it. Yep. Right? It's not a larceny. They're not going to charge the person with stealing that well. What's our legal authority to compel that person to get in our car and go back to the hospital? Nothing. We're not doing it anymore. Right? Don't send us there. If Medical providers are that worried about it. Call an ambulance. But we, we're there, right? We're always there. We're, we're always available 24-7. So when you can't send somebody else, send a cop. It's got to stop. And, and I uh, recently did a paper on the, the uh, overuse of the you know, emergency 911 system. Oh, my and, God. And how it's really been. Uh, I did this for sociology. And how it's really been, you know, 911, you know, I need a cop. Yeah. You know, and that's really it's it's a dial a cop one eight hundred dial a cop and and that's you know I, I think we've just we want everything to be fixed we, 
we used to have a term for it when I was going through my master's program. So, and it, it was a facetious term, but it became our reality. You call, we haul. Mm. Right? That was just the expectation. In many cases, we wouldn't even ask the dispatcher to ask any probing questions. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and this retired police officer was like, you know, people get mad when the dispatcher's like, well, what's your emergency? You know, what's the location? What are they doing? And so the first responding patrol officer jumps out of the car, and they get on the radio, and they're like, send me a supervisor, send me crime scene, send me a bus, send me fire rescue, because the caller didn't communicate to the dispatcher the actual nature of the emergency. And so it's that first responding police officer who's getting there going, I can't do this, right? But the expectation is, you call that number, magically somebody dressed like you appears, and then the work starts. So we have to break that habit. All right, we are just about out of time. Whew, that went by fast. It did. I, I want to I take a moment, a couple moments. So walked over to uh, State Police Detective Unit offices earlier this week, Wednesday, Uh for a little farewell party. Who left? Lieutenant Eddie Culver. Oh, no kidding. The state police detective unit commander has officially retired. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Good for him. So it's going to be a... Uh, Good for him. The, the, uh, Lieutenant Dixon, Dickinson, Ryan, uh, has been promoted. He's taking oh, wow. command. Oh, gosh. There's okay. another new DLT up there who will be stepping into a, in a different supervisory role. Good for him. Um, state police are... Is facing a severe staffing shortage, so they're actually going to have to redeploy some of their troopers back out onto the road, but mm. the bosses will be settling in and taking command. But yeah, um, Lieutenant Culver is retired, and that is going to be a significant loss to Berkshire County law enforcement. Um, he's the third SPDU commander that I've worked with basically in my career. Um, you know, his, his predecessor... Lieutenant Foley was not only a valued colleague, but a, a friend. And, um, you know, Brian and I had a lot in common. And I was in the field during Brian's tenure, um, pretty much been in administration all of Eddie's tenure. But, um, you know, we we work closely with our state police DU counterparts. And, um, you know, his retirement is well-deserved, but that's just going to be a huge uh, loss professionally and personally. Yeah. So, um, well, congrats to him. He's congrats to move on to the next yeah, part of his life. Yeah. And he's got plans. <laughs> uh, congratulations, Lieutenant Culver, on a impressive career and all of your contributions to the Berkshire County law enforcement community. Thank you for your years of service. Enjoy your retirement. Fair winds and following seas. We are just about out of time. Plans for the weekend, Darren? Uh, no. <laughs> Getting ready to graduate. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in this morning to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Tune in next week for another new episode. Until then, stay healthy, be kind. We're 10-8.